Hello everybody, welcome back to another Minutes with Mew presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm Mike Galtieri. We'll get right in with Scott Mutrin. Uh, but first, like to you know, use this time. There's been some noteworthy moments that have happened in BC sports the last week or so. First of all, BC has announced that they're going to extend head coach Steve Adazio a two-year contract extension. Uh, Adazio is 51 and 49 with six years here at the Heights. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot of people have asked me, do you agree with uh, this decision by A.D. Martin Drummond to extend Adazio? And at the end of the day, the, my answer is yes, uh, with a little bit of hesitation, but yes. Uh, you have to look back and let's take a look at history here. Uh, O'Brien left in 2006. Spaz was there for a couple years, I believe, uh, until two, uh, the Jags, excuse me, in 2008. Then Spaz uh, comes through and then Adazio now in his sixth year. So the question is, is continuing and having a sense of normalcy good for the program right now? Or do you fire Dazio and just go right back to square one? My argument would be to keep him going and to see how it goes. Give him one more year to get the eighth win and to continue to approve. There was progress off the field college game day coming, a ranking in the top 25 this year. But let's make no bones about it. BC fans, very disappointed. Three losses to end the year to finish 7-5. Uh, once again this year. So Dazu needs to improve on that going forward. The good thing is, though, also recruiting has been a huge uptick. You see that in the amount of all ACC players this year. So recruiting has approved under Adazio. There's no question about that. And I would break it down. College football really is about 80% recruiting, 20% coaching. So the question is that 20%. This team, this talent was better, uh, should have been better than 7-5, the amount of talent with BC this year. So how do you equate that and get that elevated? That's going to be the question for the Eagles as we head into 2019, believe it or not. Crazy to hear that. So with that, we'll go with Minutes with Mute. like to remind everybody, too, thanks to Chestnut Hill Technologies for sponsoring this podcast, as well as I'd like to remind everybody, if you're a BC football fan, you got to be a part of the BC Football Gridiron Club. Go to bcfootballgridiron.com to sign up and get more details I know they're going to have a good party, a good pregame party uh, before the bowl game uh, next week in Dallas. So it should be exciting right there. All right. As always, feel free to comment. like to hear your thoughts and opinions. We'll go right into this Mids with Mew podcast with Scott Mutrin of the BC IMG Radio Network. As always, thanks so much for listening. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a Minutes with Mute, a special bowl edition Minutes with Mute. Scott Mutrin joins us. I'm Mike Galtieri. You know Scott, BC IMG sideline reporter, former BC quarterback in the 90s. Scott, thanks so much. Boston College uh, announced Sunday night that they're going to the first responders bowl in Dallas, Texas. Played December 26, a tough time slot, actually, 1.30, I believe, Eastern time. Just your general impressions about the bowl and the selection. I know you're a little frustrated. BC fell a little bit. Uh, but the record at the end of the day was 7-5, to five, and as we know, that record allowed BC to fall because they were really, really retired with a bunch of other schools. Yeah, it's definitely not, I, I would expect, not what BC expected going into this year. 
Now, looking back, when you have seven other, six or seven other teams in the uh, ACC that all had similar records, then it basically just becomes a who can sell more tickets um, for the gate. And with the location and other certain things, you see where BC ends up. Dallas is a great spot. It's at least it's it's down south and it's a little warm. The, the day's not exactly perfect. The day after Christmas at uh, 1.30 is not great for people traveling with young families, no names mentioned. Um, <laughs> doesn't exactly sit well on the home front. Uh, but they do get to face a quality opponent in Boise State who has 10 wins on the air and is ranked in the top 25. So maybe BC can look at it as a source of redemption and a chance to you know, to prove to be the top 25 team and end the, end the season with eight wins on a high note. I was hoping for El Paso. I talked to the Sun Bowl director over the past week. That was a December 31st game. It was pretty good. Pretty good timing. But, uh, yeah, you're right, though. But positive, right? Boise State's good team. Uh, they're excited. Team, you know, BC fans don't really see that much. Uh, BC last beat them 2005 on their own turf in that MPC Computers Bowl game. But uh, just uh, that was a very controversial game based on a lot of people. Not uh, Boise didn't really because it was a bowl game. Didn't accept it as a loss on their home field for a while, I believe. Yeah, which a lot of BC fans felt uh, felt a little missed by. But uh, yes, that's uh, last time they faced each other. But they're not going to be on the Smurf turf. They're going to be down in the uh, the venerable Cotton Bowl Stadium down in Dallas, where the the mayor of Dallas is a uh, Boston College grad. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever I'm trying to think? Would you did you ever play in that stadium at all in your career? Probably no, not. No, I didn't. I did not venture very much past west of the uh, Mace, uh, excuse me, west of the Mississippi River in my time at Boston College. We went to Hawaii a couple times, but that was pretty much about it. Everything else was east of the Mississippi. So I did not venture to the to the uh, Cotton Bowl, but there are some good memories there. Doug, I believe Doug Flutie's last game was in '85 there, yeah, so. Yeah. Some positive BC memories there, and a great field. And hopefully, with uh, Mother Mother Nature can cooperate a little more this time than last time, where it was 22 degrees, I believe, when BC was down there. So uh, at least if it's down south, but you really hope that Mother Nature smiles nicely on the Eagle fans that uh, venture down to the Cotton Bowl. You know, I'd like to get your 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 perspective, Scott. This time of year now, as a player. So you find out you're going to a bowl game, but now you're you you're used to the every plan every week. So now you have three to four weeks off. What do you do as a player and kind of what's your mindset right now this month of December? Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Well, when you're a starter in this this point in time, or if you're a guy that's had a significant amount of snaps, it's about getting healthy and building back some strength that you may have lost throughout the season. A lot of the lifting and working out you do during the season is maintenance stuff, so you don't really get a chance to build muscles or work on some of the things that are maybe bothering you and for the guys for the wear and tear of the year it's a chance to get some of those bumps and bruises off and for the younger guys that don't get a lot of snaps it's a chance for them to grow you you read a lot you hear a lot this time about guys that really popped during the bull practices and really really made a name for themselves they that did well and it's a really big stepping stone for a lot of young guys that maybe don't 
don't get a lot of snaps during the regular season to get a chance to get some some significant work and build their foundation for for the next season in 2019. So that will help. BC's losing a lot of guys off this team on both sides of the football. So it's an opportunity for some of these young guys to to you know put stake their claim for positions and put their their names and thoughts in the coaches' heads as they. You know, they finish this season off and then head into spring ball two, you know, two months plus after this. And then BC, you know, since we last talked, the offensive coordinator Scott Leffler is going to Bowling Green. Uh, and then what's your thoughts on a potential new Boston College OC? Uh, what do we need? And uh, were you surprised that Scott left? I mean, the talks you've had with him. Well, you know, definitely surprised that he left. But when you get a head coaching job in college football and you get an opportunity, and Scott Leffler is from around that area. He went to Barberton High School when he was younger. Scott and I are, he's a year older than me. We were peers. We actually grew up, uh, you know, competing, not directly against each other, but when we were younger, we were, you know, competition throughout the, the all-state rankings for Ohio. And uh, that's an area that's close to home for him. He gets to go back and see some family. It's a, it's a storied, um, you know, program that's that's brought some big coaches out there urban meyer is from around you know that area and coached at bowling green so there's a good legacy at that program it's an opportunity for him to put his mark on a, on a program and take it over as his own and, and shape it in a way in which he seems fit and you know for him it's it's kudos and congratulations you could never be upset with somebody for for advancing their career in, in college football because it's, you don't get many opportunities to do it and when you get a chance to be a head coach especially someplace close to home to take advantage of it and for BC on on the looks of it it's you know it's what do people want as an offensive coordinator and I think and there's a lot of names that have been floated out around there but I think you know Steve Dazio is going to be looking for somebody that's a quarterback mentor the guys that have been there before with when he had Ryan Day and Scott all came from quarterback backgrounds whether they've either played the position or coached it significantly I think that's an important part for bringing in a, a person at Boston College is that you want someone that's going to be developing and bringing on quarterbacks because that's a way in which you can sell and bring bring the program around uh, after after he's left and, and worked on on some of that. So I think for for you, you're probably erring towards a younger guy that can maybe relate to to some of the players, but also a chance that it, it's looked at as a you know a promotion for them and an opportunity to be a you know, a D1 offensive coordinator in a Power 5 conference, I think it's a great selling job, not to mention the fact that you have, you know, A.J. Dillon in the backfield and Anthony Brown is going to be going on his third year as a starter. Like, that's that's a really easy sell. So if you get someone with those qualifications that's looking to, you know, make that step and make that jump, it's, it's a really good sell for Boston College. So I think there's a lot of young, good applicants out there that could really make a difference. You mentioned both Urban Meyer and Ryan Day in the last answer. Of course, that broke today. Uh, Urban Meyer is leaving the program, retiring. Uh, it seems so weird. He's in his early 50s retiring, but due to health reasons. And then Ryan Day. Now, BC fans would know him. He spent nine years with BC over three different stints. So my first question is, were you surprised, Scott, that Urban Meyer has left Ohio State? And second, did you have any interaction with Ryan Day at all? Do you know Ryan Day at all from his time at BC? Uh, to answer your first question, with Urban Meyer, there's it's a lot of pressure coaching at the Ohio State University. Is growing up in Ohio, um, I've seen it. I was born right at the end of the Woody Woody Hayes era. I, I lived through the Earl Bruce, the John Cooper days, and the Jim Tressel days. So 
there's a heavy burden coaching that program at such a big school with such prestigious football history that that takes a lot on you, not to mention all the off-field scandals that came uh, with Urban Meyer and the uh, the Zach Smith issues that, that plagued him and forced him to be suspended for uh, for the first three games of this year. But I feel that it's probably worn on him health-wise a lot, and it's tough. Uh, it's tough coming back for that. And I think when you have recruits and when you have players in that program, it's you got to be willing to commit to them. And it's got to be not the one year to bring them in, but you got to be willing to stand there for four to five years because it's tough to look those kids in the eye and tell them that you're going to be there and look those parents in the eye and tell them that you're going to help guide their sons into to the next step of their football journey if you're not committed to it. And I think he's really gone through a lot and he had some self-reflection and some health issues that – he just felt that it was time to step away. And for anyone in that situation, it's, it's, it's not an enviable, enviable position. And it's, very, it's very competitive. It's very tough. And for Urban to, you know, to make that decision and, and move on, I'm sure he went through a lot of it with his family. He is from Ohio. So that, that job means a lot to him. And for him to step away, I think, was, was definitely tough for him to do it. Uh, as for Ryan Day, yeah, I, I, I do know Ryan. I, I met him when uh, I started doing the sideline gig a couple years ago. I had the opportunity to, to chat with him and when he left and wished him some congratulations when he went to the NFL for the, uh, for the Eagles and I believe the 49ers. So great pedigree, Northeast guy, you know, UNH quarterback that played under Chip Kelly. He's a hot commodity. He goes 3-0 and in the interim level when Urban uh, Meyer was suspended and he did a great job. And really, I think – Solidified himself as a, you know, a, a legitimate Division One Power Five conference coach, and I think there was probably a lot of demand for him out there to be a head coach. And I think Ohio State maybe saw that, and and I don't want to say pushed Urban Meyer out, but definitely, um, you know, were concerned that if Urban wasn't in it, they didn't want to lose a potential coach that they felt very strongly about. Do you think he was well-liked by the BC players when he was here as a uh, OC? Yeah, it seemed that way. A lot of guys had a lot of positive things to say about him. He was innovative. He definitely brought Chip Kelly's system to to Boston College. But also, you know, he was part of that offense that once when Andre Williams was here, they started, if everyone remembers, they started wanting to run a lot of those spread and Chip Kelly concepts that that he grew up in football playing and after that USC game they realized that they were not going to be successful running that system with the personnel and with the groupings that they had and they realized that they had to formulate and come with an offensive system that really sat well with the personnel they had and they knew Andre Williams was the guy that was going to have to do it for him and he redesigned that whole thing in the off you know, in that off week with, with Steve Adazio and really came up with that offense that changed the season and, and actually made that team bowl eligible when a lot of, you know, coming off a 2-10 and ten season where a lot of people did not have very high expectations. And he was part of that offense that made that team viable and actually got them into a bowl game. So that says a lot about his offensive ingenuity and his ability to adapt his offense to his personnel. And I think that's a big part of coaching. It's, it's not about forcing your system upon your players. It's about identifying what your players do well and help that fit within your system. So for him, that's that's a sign of a great coach, and I think Ohio State saw that. I, I think he's a very, very good coach. He's a, 
he's a you know young up and comer, and, and I'm excited for him. I'm happy for him. I think it's a really great opportunity. Um, it's not going to be easy because the expectations are going to be huge. But you know what? That's that's why coaches get into this for those big opportunities. All right, Scott. Last question. Got you got your thoughts on the playoffs? The four teams. Do you agree with those four teams? We got Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma sneaks in. And what did you think, Georgia? And uh, what, what team am I missing here? Ohio State. How do you think it all played out for your in your opinion? Well, it was tough for Ohio State to say that they can stake a claim when they lost to, to Purdue handily on the road. So when Purdue ends up being 6-6, six and six, and although they may have been a better 6-6 six and six team than the record set, uh, the fact of the matter is they were 6-6. Six and six. Now, the question that comes into this, and you get into this discussion with people, and whether it's an argument, and every you know alumni base has their own feelings on their own program, but it comes to the question of it is, is it the, the most talented or is it the most deserved? So, yes, Georgia may be the most talented team to be the fourth seat, but Oklahoma deserves that. They were, they're a conference champion. They played a Texas team that was ranked in the, in the top 15 and beat them again after losing to them in a close game. And Georgia had their shot. There's not a lot. There, I don't really, I'm not a firm believer in the rematch and the second shot. You get a chance to, to beat a team, and either you beat them or you don't. And is it fair? No, but life's not fair. But other teams have proved throughout their, you know, their season that they deserve to be in that, in, in that situation in that talk. Clemson, no doubter that they belong in there. They're, they're a top team in the country, maybe the best team in the country. Very well-rounded, great young quarterback, some solid defensive personnel and other skilled guys they did. You know, struggle a little bit with South Carolina at the end in the secondary, which has been their issue, Clemson's issue. Uh, but they're definitely a deserving team. And then Notre Dame, you know, they beat everybody on their schedule, and everyone wants to talk about the weakness of Notre Dame's schedule. But it's not about where teams end up. It's about where they are when you play them. And Notre Dame, when they played a lot of the teams on their schedule, a lot of those teams were in good shape, whether it was they were healthy or they were playing good football. But, you know, when they faced Stanford, Stanford was like the, the 14th-ranked team or the 7th-ranked team in the country. Now, granted, Stanford ended 7-5, and five, but they were a good team. So Notre Dame deserves to be in there, and I don't think a lot of people are talking enough about them. I think they're a pretty talented team. And when it comes to the fourth, it, it was Oklahoma with their dynamic offense. Yes, their defense struggled in certain times and, and struggled stopping people, but that's a team that, that went in there, avenged their loss, has a lot of talent on offense, and it's going to be a team that, you know, traditionally Nick Saban teams have struggled with quarterbacks that are, you know, fleet of foot, running the spread, and can throw the ball and distribute the ball. Um, the Oklahoma defense may be an issue facing Alabama, but the fact of the matter is I think that the right matchups happen. The regular season matters. Playoff, uh, you know, the, the SEC championship, I mean, the, excuse me, all the conference championship games matter. But when you get your shot and you don't make, you know, don't make it, I don't think that you deserve that other chance to get in there because it just – it doesn't set a good precedent for all the other conferences out there and what they go through in the regular season and what they play in their conference championship game. It's going to be a fun couple of weeks. It always is, Scott. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's talk maybe a couple of days before the bowl game. Uh, we got a sandwich before the Christmas holiday, or maybe late that week before uh, the yeah, game. It's going, to be, it's going to be interesting to see with, with Boston College and, and how things play out as far as we know. You know, you haven't seen anybody that's not playing. Um, you know, you're going to see a lot of those announcements. You've seen a couple already with, 
you know, Ed Oliver and some other guys not playing. But from the sounds of things, it looks that, you know, everyone from BC is going to be playing in, in this game, which is a great testament to these guys and how much they love their teammates as you, you know, talk to them throughout the year. It's, it's great to see. It's, uh, I'm sure they had higher expectations, and it's tough in which the, you know, the bowl selection process uh, plays itself out. It ends up being almost a little self-fulfilling prophecy when people were like, you're not going to sell enough tickets. And then, you know, you end up going to different games. It's, it's tough to sell certain tickets in certain venues. But uh, in the end, I guess, it's, if you win enough games, you end up, you know, being a little more, have a little more say in, I guess, where you end up. Yeah, no question about it, Scott. All right, well, hey, thanks a lot for joining us on the Minutes with Mute. Appreciate it. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm. Based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum, CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com.